Good evening, and to our neighbors and listeners, coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm Maleka Fruin, here in Germantown with my family. The Germantown InfoHub Radio Hour is exploring all the things happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia and covering them in an hour or less. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, on Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at Germantown Infohub. Well, we have two segments planned for today with four different guests. The first group of guests are tour guides from two different but unique Philadelphia tours. They will discuss with me their experiences as tour guides for their respective brands and the importance of challenging the assumption of alternative history and the importance of truth-telling. And for our second segment, we'll be speaking with two organizers of the series of legal clinics centering marijuana charges about their work, why it's important, and how people can benefit from services beyond these clinics. Now let's introduce our first pair of guests and welcome them to the InfoHub Hour for the first time. With us, we have Chrissy Watts of Philly Experiences and Rebecca Fisher of Beyond the Bell Tours. All right, so tell me a little bit about yourselves. Just introduce yourselves like name, pronoun, things of the sorts, and then talk about your organizations a little bit and what they are and what you do. So I will start with you, Chrissy. Well, hello, I am Chrissy, a Philly native mom and founder of Philly Experiences, which is a community engagement brand that focuses on bringing tourist dollars to the hood via our businesses and our programs. And I've been doing that since 2018 by happy accident. I started with a bar crawl that went into a game night, that went to a hood tour, that went to a party bus that just kept snowballing. I kept trying ideas and it's been well received. So I'm happy to be a native telling our stories, highlighting black culture. And it's super important to me. So I'm really happy to be here. I'm Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Fisher. I use she, her pronouns. And um, I am half of Beyond the Bell Tours. We do inclusive walking tours in um, Center City and Old City. So we do a badass women's history tour and an LGBTQ history tour of the neighborhood. And those are kind of our cornerstone tours. And we're kind of thinking about how to shift the narrative while being in the places that people are typically going and kind of imbuing new meeting in them. When did Beyond the Bell tour, tour start? Same time as Chrissy, 2018. Um, so we met that summer, which was great. <laughs> that sounds fun. That sounds fun. How did y'all meet? Actually, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm all for funny stories. I love a kiki, so let's go. <laughs> so we both I, we both had our experiences on, on Airbnb experiences. So the tours were on Airbnb experiences, and it was the first summer that they had Airbnb experiences in Philly, right, Chrissy? Yep. And they they took the top 10 performing experiences and they took us all out to a very weird but very fancy steak dinner and they asked us what airbnb could do for us and we all said charge us less commission and they said no but they paid <laughs> very very nice <laughs> Right. Okay. They said material girl, but not all the way. Yeah. <laughs> not all the way. It's it was a very nice dinner. Like we charged up with the bill was huge. I mean it was great. But they definitely didn't do anything that we asked of them. But we met yeah. like fat, like great people like Chrissy that night. There were tons of amazing people, some of whom are still on Airbnb, still doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um but it's been great to see how much Philly Experiences has grown into such an amazing project in Philly. We, I can't believe you started the same year. I thought you were 2017. I thought you started, you started at Haverford, right? While you were at Haverford. I started the, I started on Airbnb though. Like I just put it up oh. on it. Oh yeah. So yeah, we literally have the same story. So the fact that we both here uh, talking trash in the spaces <laughs> that traditional tourism <laughs> is highlighting we're showing up saying no 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wait there's more <laughs> i that's, love that 
<laughs> that's really funny. That's hilarious. Yeah, they definitely. I'm happy y'all upcharged, child, because <laughs> I myself would have made sure the whole family was taken care of that night. <laughs> <laughs> so it's such an interesting job to me. It's such an interesting, an interesting job to me. Um, being a tour guy, I, I don't know if other people feel that way when they talk to y'all, but I find it to be something very interesting, um, just because of the work in general. And I'm all into archival work and memory work. So hearing other people do that kind of work in a different field, because I think of journal, I always say it. This is this is like a broken record on this show. I always talk about how I think journalism is archival work. So sue me. But <laughs> but um, how did y'all get into being a tour guide? Rebecca, you go first. <laughs> um, well, um, mostly I had a really boring on-campus job, which was I um, stapled papers. So I was stapling papers for the office of the provost. And I, I couldn't do it, like, mentally. Like, I, <laughs> it was, like, starting... <laughs> It just like caught, I just would sit there stapling papers, like thinking it just, it's, I would spiral while I was doing it. So I really needed to find a better job. And I, um, I thought that I really liked to bike and I saw that the, the bike tours were hiring for a bike tour job and I could make as much as I was making in a day as I was in a week of my horrible on-campus job. Okay, we love that. Don't forget to I mean, add that in. <laughs> I was like, great, this is definitely what I want to do. And I and I thought I would just do it for a summer. So that was seven years ago. Um, so I did it for two summers before Beyond the Bell. That is a funny story. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what the job was at Hepford, so that's, that's funny. For me, I never had plans to be a tour guide. Never had plans to definitely be a hood tour guide. But I've never been on an official tour um, before I started. And I think that was a benefit to me. So I wouldn't follow this uh, book on how to do it and making my voice much smaller. I started with a bar crawl. And so at that time, I was just a bar crawl host in Germantown where I just figured I'm going to take people to bars that I'm already going to as a single female. And who's going to stop me? I'll talk to the bars, see what's going to happen. <laughs> like, who's going to stop me from walking in with anyone? Man, and I thought about it later. Uh, we can get into that. But I thought about it later, like, I should have asked. But I just figured being in Philly, I feel like the, the culture is prove it, then talk about it. And so I had to prove it to myself that there would be visitors coming to the city interested. I was more shocked, more shocked about the non-Black people that wanted to come on the tour. They was living their best trap music life because they just wanted a space to also enjoy trap. And I didn't think about that. And I had all ages, like I had all sorts of people that come out. And then from there, with the success of that, um, getting to the point of actually doing my most popular tour, which is Morals and Murals, it was because I did not want to do it that I knew I had to do it. It was a story I always wanted to tell. I talk about growing up in this city. I'm very honest, and very open with anyone, complete strangers, especially downtown, who loves to stop me and ask me questions. <laughs> I, I can stand on the corner and have a three-hour conversation with a stranger about anything and everything. So people are drawn to me, and they've always asked me, what is there to do in the city? And honestly, I used to say, just take the 23 bus. That used to be my answer. I'm like, when before it was split up between it's 23 and 45, beginning to end, from South Philly up to Chestnut Hill, I said, just ride it there and back, and you'll get more sense of Philly than a double-decker bus. Fast forward, my tour originally started with me using my car, and then my car had to be sold, and then... I was back on septa myself. So I said, well, what happens if I take it on septa? This can't be too bad. <laughs> and four years later, never had an incident, not one of my experiences. It's been 100% pain-free. <laughs> and it just never had an issue. I, I absolutely love this. I love that we, I was forced to get onto septa. That helps. The guests love that more than anything in the world. And so if septa, if you're listening, I need a sponsorship. Thank you. Septa, we're going to get her the sponsorship because I know y'all listening. 
No, but I really do love the analogy that you make about the 23 because I myself, I had did, I was the president of the um, Black Culture Society. And so one of the things we were trying to get people more immersed in was like the Black history of Philadelphia, but then also helping them to see like how the history has like helped to change or like not necessarily helped to change because Lord knows everything wasn't helping, but just overall affected change, right? And influence change in the city. And I told them, like, literally, I said, we're going to meet at the top of the hill in Chestnut Hill. We're going to ride the 23 all the way down. By that time, the 45 had been made, so we couldn't go all the way through South Philly. But I'm like, going from Chestnut Hill through North Philly into Center City is enough for people to see, like, the history, but then also, like, the changes. Um, So I really do love that analogy. And then you brought it up a little bit, which is your Morals and Murals hood tour, and so that is a little bit different than the tours that I've seen. And it, it makes sense when you give the context about how you said it was something, a tour or something you never actually officially had gone on. Um, so you got to be a little bit more loose with the quote unquote rules. There is no real rule book, I guess. Nope. <laughs> um, and you do more than just explore history, right? When I was looking into it, you kind of do this focus on the effects of that history, sort of like what I was saying as well, uh, with things like gentrification, mental health, and a little bit more. So just kind of tell me about that and why is it important for you to draw those connections between what the tours may see versus what isn't shown, right? Because that's one of the things that's always important in tourism is that like they kind of curate what they want you to see, which is why when they be saying Philadelphia is one of the most visitable cities, I'm like, is it girl? Like, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No shame, but okay. If that's how y'all, and I mean, I think it is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I love Philadelphia. I ain't moving nowhere. But visitable, I'm like, <laughs> uh, I love that he just said that line because that's one thing I highlight on Morals and Murals is that all of this is a PR stunt and we're all being tricked. <laughs> literally. I said, literally, this neighborhood considered the hood, which we go to 52nd Street, so we, get, we jump on the L, we meet at City, um, we meet at Love Park now. Um, and before that, I used to show them how to purchase their own key card. Uh, had they put a day pass on there? We jump on the L right there, at City Hall. They love that because at least eighty percent of my guests never been on public transportation because they come from some small town or they never had to suffer through public transportation. <laughs> But they love that I got them one year. Like you can see their reactions. They don't know how to act when the, the train's moving. It's just like I pay attention. And so we go to 52nd Street because of just the energy on 52nd Street. I was born and raised in North Philly, so I do tell the story once we get off the L while we're still on the L platform. That's where the tour officially, officially begins. I give a brief speech. I tell them it's too loud on the train to talk. Once we get off at 52nd Street, we stand on the L and I tell them a story because I want them to feel the effects of people and everyday life is still happening. Yet this what led me to being in 52nd Street and it was gentrification. And here's problem number one, problem number two, problem number three. And as we walk down the stairs, we get to explore what is the hood and how many non-Black people need to be there before it's not no longer the hood. What does that look like? What does that mean? What is the property value like where does it begin and end? So we explore West Philly and North Philly to do that, which I really, really enjoy. Thank you so much for that, Chrissy. And so Rebecca, here's one for you. I've actually had the pleasure of taking your tour. Um, and you tell a very different side of history that I feel is completely omitted, right? I think that sometimes black history isn't necessarily omitted, it's curated in a sense where it omits a lot of stuff but it isn't completely omitted but I think that queer trans and women's history is like almost completely omitted right um and that's also a part of black history too um but why is that work would you say equally important to the history and like the narrative that we've grown to know and accept for generations in the work that you do um well to me the narrative is important because the people are important right if you're saying that these stories have influenced philadelphia then excluding them is saying that those people haven't influenced philadelphia which means that they don't matter right to the story of philadelphia which like talking about pr like philadelphia is often where people come to learn about American history and is often, you know, it's the birthplace of freedom. And if we're kind of centralizing Philadelphia in that story, 
then we have a responsibility and tour guides have a responsibility. Um, and this is my challenge to all of the Benjamin Franklin, William Penn impersonators in Old City of like, if you are only going to tell that part, part of the story, like you're actually actively embracing a white supremacist narrative for an American narrative. Um, and I think that telling a more like, you know, we can have all of our ideas of why an inclusive narrative is important, but it's actually just truthful. And I think that having some kind of allegiance to truthfulness is also part of the important ways of building communities um, and building how we talk to one another, right? So, you know, that's kind of the way I think about the answer to that question. It's interesting how truthfulness helps to build trust, build better conversation amongst folks. Like I think about how a lot of times people get, we get thanked for being truth tellers. And mm -hmm. I'm like, this feels very awkward to me because I feel like this is something everybody should be doing and something that everybody can do. Even something as simple as I was at a um, vendor's market the other day and like a few weeks ago, and this guy was like, oh, I have something in my trunk. Like, you know, I think it's your size. Like, I'm, I want to go run and get it. Do you like, want, do you want me to go run and get it? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, please. I don't, I don't want to try anything on. Right. And he was like, no, like he was like, I can go get it really quickly. And I just like stood firm in it. And it was just like, no. And so the vendor, the person who was hosting the vendor thing like laugh because they was like that's just Rashid like he's just honest <laughs> like you know what I'm saying but he was like no it's cool like I appreciate it and from there we had like a longer conversation about just other stuff but just that overall like boundary not necessarily boundary but just that overall like set principle of like yeah I'm going to be transparent and very like clear about where I stand in anything um makes things very different it makes like the experience better like sometimes it's uncomfortable it was uncomfortable for him for me to say no but that's a part of truth telling um and I think this is something that everybody should be able to like partake in so I mean how do y'all design like how do you come up with the design of the tours or how do you decide what will be featured and discussed? Because that, for me, I know is not an easy job. Anything that has to do with curation and like what's going to get highlighted and what may not is not an easy job. So how do y'all do it? Well, to speak on what you just said, that truth telling is exactly the reason why me and Rebecca would not have passed the tourism <laughs> certificate class, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the reason why they were like because Rebecca you actually met professionals in tourism right when they and they were like shunning you in that meeting I think you told me that so it's like that proved it <laughs> they did not like me <laughs> <laughs> right so we wouldn't qualify to even be tour tour guides under their example of that and so why not that's the reason why I love Airbnb is love hate relationship love dislike Need to hate but <laughs> but what? Um, it's because the platform just said leave it to the people, and then also the problem with Airbnb is you just leave it to the people. Right? <laughs> We're literally on our own outside of that dinner. We have not seen anyone from Airbnb <laughs> on our own. Okay, Which was, went missing, honey. It a hundred percent left the it left our success in the actual people's hands. And yes. that for me is a good thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's like democratic, you know? But I it's think, cute. yeah, I think something that like we, like we have definitely talked about is like, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm just like talking about history in a normal way. And people will talk about both of our tours is very like niche and alternative. Mm -hmm. I'm like what is alternative about giving Thank a tour right and we've talked about this because like um we're like oh the the white guy who walks around old city to talk about white men is like he's tourism but like we're alter alternative right yes. that um when I'm just like it just is I'm just doing normal history you know yeah, like okay like is my history not real history? Like, damn, this didn't happen in America. <laughs> I think they're being weird. Like, they can't stop talking about Benjamin Franklin. Like, I think that's right. Let it go. <laughs> okay, let him go, please. The world did quite a while ago. Okay. Right. 
Um, but to go towards the question, me, my, so I couldn't even call my tour history tours. I don't like saying it because when I hear history, it reminds me of what I see downtown. And that's all I see is a bunch of people walking through Old City. And I'm like, oh, I'm just telling my story of growing up. And me, I, it took a while for me to process that yesterday is considered history. And this, this pandemic taught us that <laughs> history is made all the time. Um, so telling my personal story, I only covered the last 30 some odd years. I covered growing up in North Philly. I can cover some of my grandmother's tale. So for me, I just was winging it. I had a friend that I met through IG. I said, I have an idea for this tour. Can you come with me? Because she was into photography and content creating. And I said, can you come with me while we go out and we shoot and I'll take you where I'm going and, you know, give me your feedback. That's literally how the hood tour came up. And it's been the exact same since day one outside of the fact that we no longer go to Kensington because my tour is already three hours. I talk a lot. I'm okay with that. <laughs> My story is lengthy. The tours are beautiful. We're catching the L, the 52, the 15, and the sub. That takes a while. So my tours have, it created itself. All of my experiences have created themselves. Whether it's game night, the food crawl, that was horrible. So that showed me that it, some things will not be a success right off the bat. And I could lower my high horse a little bit. But everything else just worked. And the goal of that tour was just to prove that it can be done and people wanted to go. But the long-term mission is always to have a West Philly only, North Philly only, Kensington only. We can have this all over the city and I don't want to be the only one that does it. Well, so thinking about design, I mean, honestly, it's just kind of like Chrissy, it's trial by fire a little bit. Like ultimately you can have this like amazing idea of a person you want to talk about, a story, a place you want to go. And then you get out um, with people and you're like, now we're like walking down a weird street and like, or the story doesn't make sense because there's like not a statue or there's nothing to look at. So we're just like standing at the WHYY building and we're like behind the Constitution Center. So it's like, even though there's this great story over here, we're like walk three awkward blocks to look at nothing. And so stuff like that, I think um, it's, it's kind of like, you're just trying stuff out over and over again. Um, I definitely crowdsourced some information. We had a form on our website, which was mostly like, I have this amazing aunt. Could you talk about my aunt? And I'm like, no, I will not talk about your aunt. Um, and um, definitely reading a lot, talking to a lot of people. Um, and a lot of, I mean, I read a lot of um, stuff like newspapers and profiles that people do. And that's where I got a lot of my information, like kind of secondhand, because I like to think about the way that people are continuing to contextualize somebody in contemporary terms. Um, and that's kind of a way that I think about how to pick people. And, and then also like challenging yourself and saying, do I have a blind spot? Did I miss something? Am I including like 10 Jewish lesbians because they are all like cute, remind me of me or something, you know, and like challenging yourself about that or whatever. Um, and like, you know, for, um, and I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll embarrass myself a little bit, but I realized that I picked three women named Rebecca for the Badass Women's History Tour. And they were all different women and had like really interesting stories, but I felt like that was like kind of a little bit too much, but it made me think about doing a Rebecca tour and just like going all in on it. And then people like named Rebecca could come on the tour and we could have like a whole weird day, but that's obviously mission drift. That's just like a funny thing that I think would be funny. Um, my plan for this next women, Women's History Month is to do 10 new women on a Badass Women's History Tour, like part two, because there's so there are so many good stories and to kind of like try to restart the process with um, 10 new complete, completely new women. But I think, you know, as always, the issues will be the same things that are issues like route. Are there enough restrooms? Are there places to drink water? Is there a place to sit in air conditioning and heat without spending money? Um, like some of these things are kind of challenges with the city. Thank you both for those. I appreciate that. And one of the hidden talents and one of the hidden skills that I'm recognizing in both of your work. Well, for you, Chrissy, it was very word of mouth and how valuable that history can be. 
And a lot of people don't really necessarily like see the stories that our own ancestors and our own like relatives tell us as like historically valuable. So for you into that, and then Rebecca, for you like having a survey that people can actually like submit those experiences, that's a hidden skill because some people don't actually want to ask or draw inspiration from what other people have already told them. Um, everybody feels like everything has to be super new and niche. And I'm like, that's just not how the world works. Like, I mean, the world has been a place longer than any of us have been living. So you're going to see some repeats and you're going to actually see just a lot of stuff that we see is already inspired by, <laughs> by older things anyway. Um, and so actually we're coming up on time a little bit. And so I had a different question, um, planned out, but I guess I want to just ask, what is one word or phrase that aligns with you the most in this work. Y'all can take time to think, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like eclectic, eccentric, ghetto, ratchet. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> A lot of words that can, that can be described that. I mean, yeah. Hashtag hood join. I'll take that one. Okay. <laughs> oh goodness. I love that. Um, I'm gonna use the word admiration. I feel like all my tours are designed around making you experience admiration for people that maybe aren't typically held up as people you would admire for their work or their contributions or just how they walked through the world. And that's kind of the emotional experience that I'm always trying to go for with um the stories that I share. Thank you both for that. I appreciate, appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Last thing I just go want to ask is how people can plug into your work, websites, Instagram, Facebooks, all of that. How can people connect with y'all, um, learn how to book a tour and, you know, inquire? You know, the usual www.beyondthebelltours.com, Beyond the Bell Tours on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, everything but TikTok. <laughs> You don't want to dance for the camera, Rebecca? You don't want TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> you see my TikTok, you don't have to dance. I just like how TikTok put the videos together. I am on TikTok under uh, Philly Experiences, also at phillyexperiences.com. Um, you can now find me on Viator, so that's TripAdvisor. I think I'm on Yelp. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> you type in Philly Experiences. I hope I come up. So as of right now, I have the three-hour Morals and Murals Hood Tour, which is available every weekend. It's all-inclusive, so include your, your one-day pass and Philly snacks, which can be whatever you want. But typically, I try to shove a water ice in the soft pretzel down people's throat. <laughs> but they're welcome to get whatever they want. They buy everything from bean pies to sandwiches in the back of the popping store. But they get a popping store experience. Um, the second one is Black Be Beautiful. That's my latest uh, love letter to Philly, but specifically North Philly as a way to reclaim what is now being called Temple Town. That one's only 90 minutes. That's available every weekend as well. And then as a way to heal with community, I have Morning Healers. That's available in Germantown at Vernon Park. It's every weekend, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can check the website for times. It's open to everyone. The entire family is all inclusive, all genders, all sizes, all ages. Just come out to the park. We stretch the Afrobeats. And then we wind down <laughs> and meditate to guided meditation. And then we have a community discussion on healing, whether you need it in the moment, whether you need resources in the moment, whether you just need to vent. I am there for that. So come on out and get tickets at phillyexperiences.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Christy and Rebecca, sadly, I have run out of time. But I do appreciate both of you just being candid and speaking about your experiences and your work so openly. And of course, I am the Info Hub. Just want to wish you both the best in all of your upcoming work. And we will, of course, be keeping an eye open and on the lookout for you in the future. But until then, I just want to say be well and just take care, y'all. Okay. Thank you. Once again, that was Chrissy Watts and Rebecca Fisher talking about their experiences as tour guides. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Now let's give a warm welcome to our next guest for today's episode of the Info Hub Hour. We have Tahid Chappelle of the Philly Cannabis Association, also known as PCBA or Philly Cannabis. 
and Andrea Lindsay of the Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, also known as Pulse, talking about their series of legal clinics in the neighborhood. All right. So Tawheed and Andrea, it is good to have you here on the InfoHub Hour. How are you both doing today? And while you're at it, just take that time to also introduce yourselves and let the listeners hear your voices so they know who you are. Hi, uh, my name is Tahit Chappelle, uh, pronouns he, him. I am one of the various organizers for the Philadelphia Cannabis Business Association. Personally, I am a medical marijuana patient and a cannabis journalist focused on uh, talking about the inequities that we continue to see in the burgeoning cannabis legalization space. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Lindsay. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, or Pulse. I'm doing great today and I'm so excited for this discussion. Great, great, great. So today we are talking about cannabis, weed, and all the other sentiments. Synonyms, not cinnamons. That sounds good too, though. <laughs> but we're focusing specifically on the legal consequences, the disparities of it, and then how this collaboration between the two of you, right, is an important step in closing those disparities and inequities. So Tawheed, I'm going to just pass the floor to you to just give us a little bit of that background about Philly Cannabis' work, and then just add some of that context for the larger issue at hand that we're talking about. Don't mind if I do. Thank you so much for the space and the platform to be able to talk about uh, this awesome collaboration that PCBA is doing with the Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity. So. Let me start it from the top. The Philadelphia Association, Canada Business Association came to be after several confer conferences and programs were organized in Philly between 2018 and 2020. The Diasporic Alliance for Cannabis Opportunities Conference at Temple University in 2018 was actually my introduction to the Philadelphia cannabis scene when I first moved here. And after a few conferences and kind of group gatherings, you start to look around and you're like, oh, it's kind of the same people. It's really us. And uh, a collective of us looked around and said, hey, why don't we form up like Voltron and work together on making Philly the best market it could be for anyone who's interested in cannabis. More importantly, and most importantly, as a collective, we're working together to make sure that Black communities who've been destabilized and divested from here in Philly because of cannabis prohibition and the war on drugs should be at the heart and center of any discussions related to cannabis legalization, from home grow to who gets priority access and support in getting a legal cannabis license. Now, consider some of the details because I want to be explicit about what we mean about the people who've been harmed by cannabis prohibition and the war on drugs. Let's first acknowledge that the war on drugs was specifically targeted, it specifically targeted black and brown communities. In an interview with Harper's Magazine, John Ulrichman from the former counsel and assistant to the president of domestic affairs under President Richard Nixon explicitly stated how President Nixon crafted the war on drugs. He said, and I quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war on black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know that we were lying about the war on drugs? Of course we did. Wow, just what a quote from that, coming directly from a person who worked with President Nixon. More than 50 years later, more than 50 years later, the effects on the war on drugs and focus on incarcerating black people for marijuana could is continuously being felt today. On 420 in 2020, the ACLU came out with a landmark report called A Tale of Two Countries, Racially Targeted Arrests in the Era of Marijuana Reform. It detailed marijuana arrests from 2010 to 2018 and examined racial disparities at the national, state, and county levels. It revealed more than 6 million arrests occurred between 2010 and 2018, and Black people are still more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than white people in every state, including those that have been, and especially those that have legalized marijuana. In that report, specifically in Pennsylvania, Black people are three times more likely to get arrested for marijuana possession than white people. 
locally here in Philadelphia, black people are still being arrested for marijuana despite a 2014 ordinance decriminalizing possession of marijuana in Philadelphia. So that's to say that police are still arresting way more black people for weed more than anybody else. And this is according to two investigations by Billy Penn and the Philadelphia Inquirer. So for those that may not know, the 2014 decrim ordinance basically says that cops can only serve you a civil fine if you have less than 30 grams of cannabis on you or you're caught smoking weed in public. But still the ordinance allows cops to arrest people if they have more than 30 grams of weed on them. And if that person is either caught growing, selling, distributing weed, or if the police charge you with anything additional uh, that's either a misdemeanor or a higher offense when they cite you with whatever you're doing with marijuana. So if you have something on you, if you're doing anything, if you're buying weed, you're more likely than not looking at more than just a fine. You may be looking at incarceration. Now let's talk statistics real quick because this is important when we talk about explicitly who we're trying to help here. In Billy Penn's report, they said that black people who make up roughly 44% of the population here in Philadelphia comprised of 76% of all arrests for marijuana possession in Philadelphia between 2015 and 2018. That's the first four calendar years since the decrim ordinance uh, came into effect. Now, when some people are charged with the fine, arrested, convicted, put on probation or uh, on parole, we understand that there's a huge, huge hit that they take on their lives and the lives of their families and loved ones. Incarceration, anything on your record could really hurt you in terms of getting a job, in terms of finding housing, in terms of finding mental health resources, in terms of getting an education, in terms of getting a loan. All these things are stacked up against you. And basically to summarize this, what we're seeing is that people who've been incarcerated for a plant are not only facing a lot of barriers to re-entry into society, but being able to have a uh, conviction and something on your record really bars you from participating in the cannabis legalization, in the cannabis industry as well. Many people can't get a, a license to even operate a legal cannabis business, much less be able to work within the cannabis industry because of their um, prior conviction. So when we talk about, especially for PCBA, helping people who've been most harmed by cannabis prohibition, we're talking about the people who've been wrongly locked up for this plant and no longer have the opportunity to actually participate in the industry. Cool, thank you so much for that. That was a lot, that was definitely a lot. But I think if anybody can help us and the listeners be able to understand that, um, understand the importance of clearing people's records and the like, I think Andrea, that would be you. So when we had actually spoke outside the show, you had talked about the process being way more unimaginable than people would suspect, right? And even bringing up that pardons are a part of that process, right? So if you talk, if you would just talk about that a little bit for us and the role that Pulse plays in it. That's right. I really appreciate Tahid talking about some of these consequences here. And I really wanna bring some focus on some solutions. So. It is possible to clear your record for any criminal conviction in Pennsylvania, but you have to get a pardon if you have a conviction. So when it comes to cannabis, the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons has an expedited review program for what it terms these nonviolent marijuana specific convictions. So these convictions um, can be from any period of time and they really wanna see how has this conviction affected you? So the pardon process in Pennsylvania is totally free. You don't need an attorney to apply, but it can be a little bit difficult to really understand what to focus on. So at Pulse, we have a program called the Marijuana Amnesty Project, which is a way for people in Philadelphia, people who've been targeted by the war on drugs, who are living with these consequences, who are ready to move on, to get started on clearing their criminal record and have support through that pardon process. So the pardon process is going to be a pretty short application. And then there's a lot of waiting that happens. And then at a certain point, the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons will review your application. They may interview you and they'll make a recommendation to the governor. So we have seen some real changes in how the Board of Pardons is looking at these convictions where they're speeding up the process. They're not asking as intensive of questions but there's still so much more that can be done that we're looking at 
tens of thousands of convictions through this war on drugs history. And the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons just doesn't quite have that capacity right now. So we really wanna be partnered with PCBA and other groups to really focus on the fact that this solution to this problem is not gonna be an individual process, but it always needs to be partnered with communities coming together and demanding systemic solutions, whether that's mass pardons, it can be retroactive expungement as part of any legalization statute, but we really want folks to know that you can do something about your record now, but as, as communities of people who are standing up against this, we also wanna focus on bigger solutions too. And so I know that there is a difference between record clearing and record sealing, but sometimes people confuse those two for the same thing. So can you just make that distinction for people as well? That's right. So in Pennsylvania, there's a law called Clean Slate, which does automatic sealing of lots of misdemeanor convictions. So in, in PA, a lot of weed convictions are misdemeanors, which means that they qualify for Clean Slate and that means they're sealed, which means they're hidden from public view. So if your new neighbor's trying to Google you, they're not gonna be able to see this conviction, but sealing does nothing about that conviction's actual record. There's still a physical record for it. It's visible by law enforcement. And so we recommend that people take it a step further to really clear their record. And that's where you get into the pardon process for convictions or if you just have an arrest that didn't result in a conviction, you can get that expunged. So those are the three terms here is sealing, which is just hiding it, but it's not hiding it from everybody. So it can still show up on a background check for work, um, even if you can't find it yourself. Uh, and then there's the expungement piece of it and then the pardons as well. Such good information that you gave, especially the distinctions. Let's talk about these clinics coming up. Who would you recommend coming to these clinics? I know Pulse offers a, a variety of services and wondering if it would be good for folks who just want to learn more about those services to come out and uh, to heed if you want to add more on to what Andrea is saying as well. That's great. So we have a, a marijuana amnesty focused clinic happening on August 27th from 12 to 2 at the First Presbyterian Church in Germantown. Uh, it's 35 Chelton Ave. That's a clinic that anybody can come to. This is a clinic that will have attorneys from Pulse there to talk with you about your record and to help you complete your intake to, to learn about uh, the pardon process more in depth. And that's going to be a, an event that we can really help anybody, that it's totally free. Uh, you can complete your intake. It should take 10 to 15 minutes to walk through that intake process and have questions answered about your record. But we also really do want to be reaching folks who have these cannabis convictions as well. So Tahid can talk more about some more specific things that'll be happening at this clinic related to PCBA, which makes it special from our regular pulse clinics that we run. So Tahid, can I hand it to you? Yeah, in, a, in addition to having pulse and the attorneys there, um, we really want to make this a, a family friendly event as well and to be multifaceted in terms of some of the um, programming and uh, vendors that we hopefully will be confirming this week uh, to help support this initiative. We wanna do um, we're hoping to get a voter registration partner, um, whether that's the NAACP or a local Germantown organization that does voter registration. Um, we're hoping to have some food at the event too, so people who are waiting in the queue to talk to an attorney can get fed, because um, the body should go hungry. Um, and we're hoping to also be able to have a, uh, a doctor on the scene who does medical marijuana cards uh, signups to have people understand more information about how they can further protect themselves as a uh, cannabis patient or cannabis consumer, um, because having that card, uh, that medical marijuana card is actually really important. Many people know, don't know that even if you, um, even if uh, it's decriminalized, uh, possessions decriminalized in Philadelphia, cannabis is still not decriminalized across the state of Pennsylvania. So you can still be arrested for weed unless you are a medical marijuana, unless you are a card carrying medical marijuana patient uh, and you have that protection with you. Only certain cities 
um, in the state of Pennsylvania have decriminalized cannabis possession, but not everybody. So we're going to have a doctor there to talk about the medical marijuana program and why it may be of interest for people to become patients to actually be able to start um, attending to, to their health as well. We're also hoping to have backpacks for those that have little ones that are going back to school. Um, we're hoping to be able to give out some free backpacks so that kids can go to school with some fresh swag um, to showcase. So uh, we're hoping to make this, like I said, a family-friendly event um, so that anyone who comes out can be uh, helped in some way, shape, or form. This sounds packed with not only great information and lots of actual logistics that go along with record clearing from with Pulse, but also I love to hear about all the other back to school and activities that you're that you're working with that that makes it a great event and it makes it a great community event. We have a little bit of time and I just wanted to go back to you to heed and is there anything else that you want to say that about these clinics and about the action and partnership that you're taking with Pulse to connect to this larger reparations movement? Yeah, I just want to say that, um, especially for Black communities in Philadelphia, that this is an important event because we know that cannabis legalization is going to be happening in this state. We know that there is potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in new tax revenue that will be open for cities to take advantage of um, and to funnel that money into different communities. And so I'm hoping that uh, by people attending these clinics, not only are they helping um, move forward with their lives without the stigma or anybody having this um, conviction you know, weighing them down on their, on their um, case, but they are actually um, starting to increase their consciousness about the gravity of the situation that we're facing where, you know, what could Philadelphia do if in a legal market, there's a hundred million dollars in new revenue? What can we do with that? How can we envision putting that money somewhere else like affordable housing, mental health services, public schools, community violence prevention groups, so um, I want people to understand that this is a very big thing that's gonna be happening. And we hope that people will uh, join us in making sure that Philadelphia and Pennsylvania can be the most equitable place um, come cannabis legalization. Thank you, well said. Andrea, is there anything else that you want to add important from Pulse Philly? I loved what you said about the clinic being a community event, since we really want this work to be community building, that it's time to end the stigma from cannabis prohibition and having these criminal records. And we also need to come together to really demand more from our elected officials here, that this Pennsylvania Board of Pardons is, is doing what they can, but they're just five people, they have a limited staff. We need a solution that's going to come from the top to really help people be empowered to make these changes, to step into this market as Tahid is talking about, and really to repair some of this harm from the war on drugs. And that's something that we just wanna always be emphasizing that, there, that we want to connect with people. We really hope you come to the clinic and that we can help you clear your criminal record. And that's such an important step forward, but we also need community driven solutions to these problems because of how this problem came about in the first place. Agreed, 100%. <laughs> the next clinic is planned for August 27th and the other for September 24th, excuse me, at the First Presbyterian Church on Shelton Avenue. Until then, can you tell us again how people should register for this event and stay updated with the work that both of your organizations are doing? Sure, we have a Eventbrite that's set up for pre-registration. Uh, we encourage people to register in advance for the event just so we can make sure that we are set up to help serve you at that event. Um, Tahid, I'm gonna pass it to you to actually give that Eventbrite link, but I also wanted to just give a quick plug that you can start the intake process on your own at any time by visiting our website, pulsephilly.org. That's P-L-S-E philly.org slash intake. You can have that intake process started. You could go and do it when you hear this right now. You could do it at 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, we really want people to, to get started. And that first step is the intake process, whether you do that on your own at pulsephilly.org slash intake or coming to our clinic on the 27th. 
Yeah, and for those that are listening, if you type in to your search bar on your phone or on your computer, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash expungement two, the number two, it should take you directly to our Eventbrite. We'll also put the uh, Eventbrite link on phillycannabusiness.com. All righty there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sahid and Andrea. We really do appreciate you for not only just coming and talking about this work, but then also doing it. As y'all have stated that this is a very important step in healing the damage that Black and Brown communities have really endured and have been dealing with for generations now. Well, I mean, honestly, it's given forever. Um, <laughs> but um, for our listeners, remember that the expungement clinic will be happening on August 27th. And then again, on September 24th, that will be at First Presbyterian on Shelton Ave. But until then, I just want to say thank you again to both of you and we'll be in touch and we are looking forward to the clinics and how everything turns out. Thanks so much. We hope to see everyone there. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. That was Tahid Chappelle and Andrea Lindsay talking about their upcoming legal clinic centering marijuana charges. All right, Germantown. Well, it is about that time. If you have a story that you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com to start asking us some questions and pitching some things. And again, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Gtown Info Hub, Facebook at Germantown Info Hub, and on our website at www.germantowninfohub.org. And additionally, we encourage our listeners to text the equally informed Philly text line another program under Resolve, allowing Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. Equally Informed Philly is a direct response to the COVID-19 pandemic and their team works to bridge the information divide, reducing barriers for vulnerable residents who need trustworthy information to live and thrive in Philly. They also invest deeply in underestimated voices and community storytellers. Equally Informed also provides a community-driven print newsletter and the Equal Info Line, a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that also provides vetted local news and resources to subscribers. To start asking questions, text Equal Info to 73224. And that is it. I am Rashida Jamu, aka Philly's Freedom Join. And I'm Leka Fruin. Thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. Thank you to our guests for speaking with us today. And until next time, good night, Germantown.